You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. As you're being seated, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Um, just a couple things that I do want to mention that we didn't get a chance to talk about in that setting that, that again, I didn't include in, in my notes, and, and we'll go through this pretty quickly. I do think it's unique the way that Jesus heals in that setting, and I think it's a great point that was made in that discussion about um, him, him specifically healing in such a way that it could be accused as work, right? Because you look at um, Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 8, in one of those passages, he just touches the guy and heals him. In the other passage, he just spits into his eyes and just bypasses the mud um, and spits and, and wipes it into his eyes. And so it's, it's interesting to me, too, that Jesus doesn't even heal the same issue the same way, uh, most likely so that we don't focus too much on the, the method of the healing and we focus more on who was doing the healing, um, right? So that there's no, there's no mistake on our part to think that, oh, this is the magical way for blindness to be healed. Let's try to replicate that, that Jesus is demonstrating the power flows from him, and he can do it in a, in a, different, uh, a different way each time, right? We talked about the fact that I, I think the Pharisees show us um, what it looks like to be learned and to be willing to, to hear and listen to somebody else, and, and they fail to do that. Um, definitely what's clear in this passage to me is that skeptics are always going to find a way to discount the things of God when they don't want to believe, right? And so sometimes we get so bent out of shape from an apologetic standpoint. We're talking to a coworker, friend, family member, and, and we feel like we have to come up with the, with the best answer to their questions, and ultimately, we have to recognize that there's always going to be one more question when somebody's that type of skeptic, that the Pharisees, they question and question and question, and when all of the, the, the logic points to the answer, they still say that can't be the answer, right? Um, we didn't talk about this. You got a chance to talk about it in, in your um, discussion groups this morning. Um, I think when, when we talk about, like, faith healers, and, and how do we measure like whether or not Jesus did this, or is something else going on? Because keep in mind, we talked in Revelation that uh, false, false Christs are going to come that, that will be able to do things that will deceive, if possible, even the elect, right? Um, so how do, we, how do we measure things that we're hearing, um, people that, that make certain claims? A couple things that I jotted down um, that I think are important is that when you're listening to somebody talk about a healing type of situation, what are they talking about most in that? Are they talking most about Jesus or are they talking most about the method or the place where it happened, right? Is attention being drawn to Jesus or is attention being drawn to a type of movement or a type of individual that is viewed now as the reason or the source for that? Right? Sometimes we hear about these healing type of situations and there's a push to be in this ministry or to come under this teacher because that's where you find this type of thing. I think it's far more possible and probable to say, hey, Jesus is doing something here when the individual is talking most about Jesus in that type of situation. Right? That's what the focus of the, the passage ends up becoming. Um, the, the fact that he's blind and now seeing is great, but what really shows forth in this passage is that Jesus is the focal point, both in the man's conversation about how he became healed, also in the skeptics that they're trying to discount Jesus, right? So I think that's worth considering too, is that 
um, we, can, we can proceed in confidence in celebrating the works of Jesus when he's the one that's being talked about when these type of situations are presented to us, okay? This is the third time we've talked about healing on the Sabbath, right? So John is very intentional in the things that he does include to really talk about what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath and how Jesus worked and moved to uh, help the people understand that the Sabbath was not near as important as they had made it out to be, right? Uh, From a summary sentence standpoint, when there is no reason to not believe God is at work in a situation, we should seek to increase our faith in him rather than to disprove his presence simply because the situation is contrary to our expectations. When there's no reason to not believe God is at work in a situation, we should seek to increase our faith in him rather than to disprove his presence simply because the situation is contrary to our expectations. And that's exactly what the Pharisees don't do here, right? They are looking for reasons to not believe. They want to disprove it even when everything is pointing to it. And it's all because it does not meet their expectations for the situation, right? And we don't want to be guilty of the same thing. That just because God chooses to work and move in a way that we did not anticipate or did not expect, that we don't automatically try to discredit that or discount that or disprove that when there's really no reason to do so. There's no reason here to not give Jesus credit for this. All the evidence has been considered. All the evidence is pointing to the fact that Jesus has accomplished this great task. But the Pharisees dig their heels in and are not willing to believe what is being uh, presented right before their eyes. For our kids, when Jesus doesn't do things like we expect, we should keep believing in him anyways. We should keep believing him anyways. All right? All right, so a couple of points that I want to leave you with today in addition to the discussion that you've already heard. Number one, don't try to minimize what God is clearly doing. Don't try to minimize what God is clearly doing. For our kids, Jesus showed he is God by doing miraculous things and obeying God's commands. Jesus showed himself to be God by the things that he did and, or by the miraculous things that he did and by obeying God's commands. We see in this passage how the Pharisees are very quick to be dismissive towards what has occurred. Uh, They weren't there to see it. They're not overly familiar with this young man who is claiming to be healed to the point that they, they go searching for his parents to try to verify what has taken place. And so they're very quick to be dismissive about this situation, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think they're dismissive because Jesus isn't including them, right? These are the spiritual leaders, the spiritual authorities. These are the guys who you're supposed to come ask questions and you're supposed to kind of channel and funnel everything through. It's why when the group of people are kind of confused as to... Um, what to make of this situation? It says that they run to the Pharisees. Right? So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, right? They don't know what to do about this spiritual situation, so let's take it to the authorities, right? I think the Pharisees are dismissive of anything that doesn't come through them, right? They've been set up in this position, and when people are operating outside of it, they dismiss it. 
But number two, I think they're dismissive because Jesus isn't obeying them. All right, this is the third time that we've talked about the Sabbath. It's also the third time that they've encountered it with Jesus and have tried to communicate clarification, and Jesus has not yielded to it. Jesus isn't obeying. He's not falling in line with their man-made parameters. They question the healed man, and honestly, they'd rather believe that he was never blind than to believe that he was healed, right? It says they don't even believe that he was ever blind until they talk to his parents. I mean, this isn't like a little kid that you can question and doubt his story, but they are very quick to be dismissive of the fact that he was ever blind. We'll we'll need to talk to your parents first before we can give uh, any credit here to you being healed. Then they come and question the parents. The parents try to deter it back to um, the young man and let him talk for himself. And so they question the healed man again. Ultimately, they're looking for any reason not to believe in Jesus and are struggling mightily to find one, right? The way that it's kind of presented in this passage is you have the Pharisees saying this, man does miraculous signs. Man doesn't obey man-made commands. Therefore, man is not from God, right? Like that's, that's kind of the equation that, that they are using to discount Jesus. Hey, this guy showed up. Yeah, he's doing miraculous signs. We, we're having a hard time discounting that. But the fact is, is that he doesn't obey the law, specifically the laws that we've put in place. Now, they're grouping it and trying to call it God's laws, right? But ultimately, they're saying, yeah, he does miraculous signs, but he doesn't obey the commands that we've added. Therefore, he cannot be from God. <clears throat> Do you see which part has become more important in that equation? It's the, the fact that he's not obeying the man-made commands versus the miraculous signs. The miraculous signs have been put on the shelf. What is shocking, what is hard to believe, right? What is mouth-dropping is the fact that he's not obeying the Sabbath. Not that he healed a man blind from birth, but that he would dare violate the Sabbath traditions that we've put into place. The healed man has a different perspective on this. The healed man says man does miraculous signs, plus man obeys God's commands, therefore man is from God. That's the other piece that I would add to um, how do we know if somebody is from God, in particular when it comes to the healing piece, right? Look what the man says at the end of John chapter 9. Lest we think that in some way the healing piece is elevated minus the obedient piece, right? It's not just that Jesus can perform miraculous signs. It's that he does it in the midst of being obedient to God's commands. Um, it says in verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him, right? The Pharisees and this man are trying to start with the argument that man doesn't listen or God doesn't listen to sinners, right? The Pharisees take it the next step and say, because we believe he is sinful in not keeping the Sabbath, he therefore cannot be from God. The, the, the healed man says, no, he's doing miraculous signs and God doesn't respond to sinners, and when we look at his life, he's obviously doing the will of God. Therefore, he is from God, right? What's left out of the equation from the Pharisee side of things is it doesn't explain the miraculous signs. And they have no answer for that here, right? 
They say, yes, these signs are happening. It's happening from a man who doesn't keep the Sabbath, therefore he is not from God. There is no explanation offered as to, well, what do we do with that then? What do we do with these miraculous signs? All they want is for there to be an admission that he's not from God, right? Whereas the healed man says, no, I agree with you. God doesn't listen to sinners in this way. God would not work through a sinner this way. But he's not a sinner. He, he's obeying the will of God, right? Therefore, he is from God. So the summary from, from this section would be that regulations about the Sabbath were more important to them than a never-before-seen display of healing power. Regulations about the Sabbath were more important to them than a never-before-seen display of healing power. I think this is, with this being the third time that we've talked about this, it's, it's good for us to be reminded that we have to guard against this as well. Now, most of us would say, I'm, I would never be grouped with the Pharisees. I'm so far from that, right? Almost like we're the guy in the temple saying, Lord, thank you for not making me like the Pharisee, right? We have to be very careful that we don't miss the fact that the Pharisees were respected and adored people, much like mature Christians within our local church, deacons and elders, people that are in leadership positions. Nobody looked at the Pharisees and said, hypocrite, like you don't live it out, you know, all the things that we associate with Pharisees, right? I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can attach man-made standards, man-made expectations to God's law. And when people don't live up to the expectations that we've set, in some ways they are lesser of a Christian in our eyes, that they, they aren't worth considering. They don't get to offer as much to this local body because they don't do it the way that we think it should be done kind of a thing. Now, I think it's absolutely healthy and sometimes necessary for us to put in practical measures for how to live out Scripture regularly. I think the Bible leaves room a lot of times for that, right? We've talked about abiding in the Word, that that a believer abides in the Word, a believer lives out the word, right? A believer endures in the word. But there's, there's, you'd be hard-pressed to find in Scripture a passage that you could throw in somebody's face and say, this is exactly how much time you're supposed to spend in the Bible every single day, and if you don't do it, then you're in sin, right? Keeping in mind that a lot of times, for, for much of what we have in Scripture during those times, they didn't even have copies that they could just pull out on a daily basis and sit down and have a quiet time like we talk about. Now, does that mean that we don't try to, to set up some structures to allow us to abide in God's word? Absolutely not, right? Like the things that we're even talking about with discipleship groups, it's meant to be a structure that we put in place to help encourage you to abide in the word, to be held accountable to that by having to come and talk about it and share it with others. But you're not in sin. It's not, it's not gonna be a church discipline situation if we start looking at the roster and we say, um, ah, Topi's missed the last four D groups. Um, we need to get all the elders over to his house tonight and, and talk about what to expect if he doesn't make the next one, right? These are, these are man-made things that we put in place to carry out God's word. But if we ever let the man-made things get elevated to the status of being God's word, that's where we run awry. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done. They put good things in place, right? Like they want the Sabbath to be upheld. Hey, let's, let's give you some clear ways to do that to make sure that you steer clear of ever doing work. The problem was they held them to an unhealthy standard that, that was man-made and not God-made. 
right? And so we want to be careful to not do that as well in our own culture here at Sovereign Hope. Second point that I want to leave you with is let your faith grow as God reveals himself more. Let your faith grow as God reveals himself more. What I love about the the story of this healed man is that his faith is growing in Jesus throughout the story, right? He doesn't have all the answers at the beginning. He's figuring out things as it plays out, but he's very quick to respond each time he learns more about Jesus, right? It starts, uh, and for our kids, our belief in Jesus should grow as we understand it more. It starts, oh, and I didn't put these in there. I'll give them to you because I know they're in your notes. Number one, the healed man identifies Jesus as sent from God. So right, right off the bat, Jesus spits in the dirt, makes some mud, slaps it on his eyes and says, go wash yourself. The whole time, all this guy has is, is, is a hearing ability to know what, what's happening. Can't even see Jesus, right? Comes back healed, doesn't even know really who to look for except that it's a man named Jesus, but has no uh, visual connection to even know what he's looking for, right? But when the Pharisees ask him, what do you say about this guy, right? Verse 17, they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, well, he's a prophet. He's a prophet, he's from God, he's sent from God. Is that true? Yeah, it's absolutely true. Is that the whole truth? No, he's far more than a prophet. But at the base level, the foundational level, he, he identifies the fact that he is sent from God, right? It's the only thing that makes sense here. Like, I've been healed. He later says, this is a miracle that's never been heard of before, that a man who was blind from birth would be set free from that. Guy has to be from God, is what this man says, right? Second thing is that he commits to following Jesus regardless of the consequences. He still, not, he still doesn't know that this is God, but he, he values Jesus in such a way where he says, you know what, he's worth following no matter the consequences. You say, Adam, why would you say that? Well, first of all, when they ask his parents what's going on here, verse 22, his parents said these things, the idea of, hey, ask him. He'll speak for himself. He's of age. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. This was, this was common knowledge. Like, you don't get to align yourself with Jesus. If you do, you're going to get kicked out of here. You're going to get excommunicated from here. You will not be allowed to worship with us anymore. And that's pretty tragic because it wasn't like us where they could just go to the next church right down the street that was maybe within walking distance, right? Like, this would have been a very big deal for a Jew to get kicked out of the synagogue where he was regularly able to come and worship Yahweh. So the parents are like, uh, talk to him. We don't want to say anything here that would get us in trouble. Like, we don't want to lose our ability to come to the synagogue. When the guy is questioned, though, he doesn't do anything to separate himself from Jesus or to distance himself from Jesus, right? He, he is very, uh, almost antagonistic in the ways that he's responding to their questions, right? Like, sarcastic even about, why do you keep asking? Do you want to be a disciple of his too, right? And then they kind of call him out and they say, hey, we're not his disciple, but you are. You're his disciple, We're disciples of Moses, verse 28. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. That's when the man really shows his commitment to Jesus. Verse 32, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man from blind. If this man were not from God, 
He could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in understanding. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Right? He bears the brunt of their wrath, and he is removed from the synagogue. And we don't see him recant. We don't see him try to, to come back and twist it and say, oh, I didn't mean that. Like, sorry. Right? Like, he, he says, you know what? This guy's from God. He's worth me being committed to. Like, I, I've, 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 I've decided that he is worth following no matter the consequences. Then lastly, uh, the healed man worships Jesus as the Messiah. Right? Jesus comes and finds him in response to him being cast out finds him and says, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? I love Jesus's answer here. Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. It's probably the first time that anybody's ever said you've seen it, right? Guy's never seen anything. So it's like this, this little subtle reminder to the man, you know what to do with this information right? You've already attested to the fact that this never been hap- this never happened before, that the person who did this comes directly from God. He says, do you, do you believe in the Son of Man? The guy's like, I certainly want to. Who is he, right? Because I'm still confused as to who healed me, right? Jesus says, you've seen him. It's me. It's me. I'm speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. The whole passage culminates with 39 through 41, right? You've got a man who was physically blind and spiritually blind. Knew he was physically blind, didn't know he was spiritually blind. Jesus opens his eyes physically and spiritually throughout this passage, right? Beginning, he can't see anything. Then he can see things physically. And then by the end of it, he's able to see things spiritually too. The Pharisees, Pharisees are blind the entire time and never really come to grips with it, never really realize it. Even at the end when Jesus tells them they are blind, they don't recognize the fact. Oh, I did have them there. The summary for us is that pride, self-righteousness, tradition, and bad interpretations of Scripture are ways the enemy seeks to blind us to our need for Jesus as well. We have to be careful that our own pride, our own self-righteousness, traditions, and then bad interpretations of Scripture don't keep us from seeing our ongoing need of Jesus as well. Application for us. Be careful about not recognizing Jesus' work because he doesn't do it your way. Number two, do not be guilty of disassociating yourself from Jesus because you fear what others will say. As you're writing that, I want to close with a psalm that one of the commentators said would kind of takes on new meaning if you read it from the perspective of the blind man who's been given the ability to see both physically and spiritually. So I'm going to read Psalm 27. Put yourself in the shoes of the man who's been healed from blindness and, and kind of hear it through that lens. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat at my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the things that it teaches us about you. God, we're thankful that you are a God who possesses great power. We're thankful that you're the the, the type of God who uses that power for specific purposes. God, we thank you for the things that you teach us about you here, that you are far more important than man-made traditions. God, protect us from elevating anything within this church above you. God, help us not to hold people to standards that we have set, that you have never put in place. God, help us to use structures that are put in place here so that we can follow you faithfully. But God, help us to never elevate those things above following you. God, we thank you that you're a God who heals not just physically but spiritually. We thank you for those that are believers in this room that you have lifted the blindness from our eyes so that we can see the glories of Jesus Christ. For those that have never been saved, that continue to dwell in darkness, God, I pray that you would bring them to that saving light, that they would see Jesus through our study in John. They would come to believe in the Son of Man and they would, they would understand the call to worship you. God, I pray that you'd bring about that change in, in anybody's life here that, that's never experienced that. God, for those of us that are believers, I pray that you would keep us believing in you when we encounter circumstances this week that don't meet our expectations, uh, don't fulfill our standards. God, help us to keep believing in you in the midst of those. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.